What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Fast Track, formerly known as Pave the Way Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Helbeck, and on this show, you are gonna learn exactly how to be successful as a real estate investor. It doesn't matter if you're brand new or if you've done dozens and dozens of deals. This is a podcast you're gonna be able to listen to that's gonna give you actionable, specific advice on how to be successful within real estate investing. I'm gonna interview top-notch real estate investors each and every week, and there's also gonna be some content that is just gonna be me telling you exactly about my journey and how I've went from a broke kid starting out to a million-dollar real estate investor. So if you wanna learn how to be successful investing in real estate, this is the show to listen to, and I'm looking forward to being able to serve you at a high level. All right, so today we're talking about, you know, what is the right rental property to buy? So if you guys are not familiar with our series every month, I bring on Augie, who's a rental expert. And uh, we've been talking about like, how, to, how do you become really successful doing the rental business, right? Because uh, this is way more valuable than the flipping business. Might not seem like it, but when you start doing it, you will realize it quickly. So the first two podcasts we covered, you know, why cash flow doesn't matter up front. And we also talked about the burr on steroids. So if you haven't listened to those episodes, I'd recommend you go back and check those out after this episode. So today's going to be all about, you know, what property should we be focused on buying? Because you can certainly buy the wrong property. So I'll let you take over, Augie, and we will have ourselves a nice episode today. Good, man. All these series are really nice, um, putting some nice content for people. And I I think that things we talk about, nobody else is talking about it. We, we're completely opposite on other investors' minds. Like, you know, cash flow for us doesn't really matter. We don't care about cash flow. We don't really care about what the interest rate is on the mortgage. I just know? did one for seven and I was smiling like a baby. It was, you, it was smiling because how much money you made, you know? <laughs> it's not, but so all this process, it has all little things that has to come together, you know, like a big puzzle. So this uh, podcast that we put together with you, it's the little pieces getting together. So we talked about the cash flow doesn't matter. We talked about the burn steroids, which actually during that conversation we had, I came with a specific name for that refi we do, Velocity Refinancing. So that's going to be the brand name for it. So trademark it, you know, that type of a thing. So I might know a thing or two about Velocity. Yes. So use the money to make more money, you know, type of thing. So now um, the next puzzle is, what is the right property to buy? What does the good rental property looks like? Features, location, things like that. So I want to go over some basic details. So when you research and know what to look for and kind of a little basics. So kind of a, kind of a um, help you to the journey. So first of all, first of all, it doesn't matter what I say here, what kind of a property should buy, what the best rental is. The first rule is if it's a really good deal, just buy it. If it's appraising for 350 and you're buying it for 200, but it's in a really bad neighborhood, you don't like it, you're never going to live there, just cut them buy the property and then later, um, maybe just sell it, exchange it for something else. So, first rule is the best deals. Uh, the amount of equity, it doesn't matter where the location is, it doesn't matter, just buy it. But if you have a choice and strategically go and try to buy rental properties, this is how I would go by and figure out um, the location and type of properties I'm going to buy. So first thing, 
first, the main thing when you're buying a rental property is to pick the location where the property is going to double in value the fastest. That is the only, that is not the only, but that's the most important rule when you're picking to buy a rental. If you have a choice, you have to find the area where the value is going to double the fastest. So now, where is that location? Now, that's the question. So the first rule, the value is in the land. I repeat that. This is the first and the most important rule of the characteristics of a property. The value is in the land. So when you buy a property, the value is going to double the fastest when the property has land, which means single family home with a piece of land. Condos, townhomes, you don't have that. In a, in a condo, you own the box. You have neighbors on top, on the bottom, on the side, that's it. Then you have ownership in the common areas. That's it. There's no land. Same thing with the townhome. Townhome, you own the, the land, air, but you have people on the side of you. So what we want is a piece of property with a land. And why is that? Land is limited. That's right. It's limited. Yes. It's it's limited. It it cannot go forever. So scarcity makes the land more expensive. The building on the actual land goes bad, deteriorates. You know, it can take it down, scrape it, it can build something new, but the land is still there. So um, in a cities where everything gets developed, the land gets more, I mean, uh, it gets higher price. Because it becomes scarce a, because land land is a fixed yes, thing. Yeah. You can always improve the building, but the land is is the land. Yeah. The city grows, gets more developed, the the land becomes scarce, and then the prices go higher. So yeah. that helps the property value to double the fastest. So that's the first rule. The value is in the land. So second, then um Let's talk about a little bit about the area overall, if you have to pick different uh, cities or states and things like that. Just so everyone understands, you're in Phoenix, right? So that's a pretty I'm, good city to I'm, talk about this in because yeah, there's a the, lot of sub-markets there. The mecca of real estate investing. You know, it's, it's if you can make it in, yeah, if you make it in Phoenix, then you can make it anywhere in the world. So, <laughs> so yeah, Phoenix area is pretty big. Maricopa County specifically, um, it's five five million people. So quite a different areas. So yeah, quite big. But they, let's let's kind of a look at three different things when you look at um, what area to pick. First, you have to look at affordability in the location that you're going to be buying rental properties. So the best location is when medium family income can afford to buy 60% of the properties listed for sale. So that's an average good market for rental properties. So let's say medium family income it don't count single people. It have to be family income. So let's say family income between husband and wife is hundred twenty thousand. Sure. And in the hundred twenty thousand, they can get mortgage up to five hundred thousand. 
if 60% of the properties in this market are below the 500,000 price range, they can afford 60% of the market. This market is stable and good and allows growth and price going up. Um, if the affordability rate is below 60%, then the market is over, not overpriced, but expensive. And the people cannot afford to buy too many properties. So let's let's break that down a little bit. So let's talk Phoenix specifics because that's a popular city. So let me let me just guess here. So I'm assuming if you're in Arcadia, right, you're you're not in an affordable area, right? But if you're in like Glendale, you're probably going to be in a better, more affordable. Is that is that about accurate, or is that exactly? So you take um, you take the price points, and yeah. if you if you know if you research a market, you know that. Most of the deals, let's say in the Phoenix market, most yeah. of the deals, 60% of the deals happen uh, in price point below 500000 Sure. That makes sense. So now you know that your market is in around 400000 So 60% of the people can afford to buy property in around 400000 Okay. If you're in a different market, cheaper market where the prices are – I don't know, hundred thousand, hundred twenty. It's <laughs> crazy. Kind of a kind of a same thing. Crazy. So here's here's the thing: how to make a decision too. Sixty below sixty percent affordability rate, it's expensive. Less people can afford. Yeah. Just it's harder for them to buy. Over sixty percent affordability rate, then the homes are cheap. They're cheap. So there. So if people can afford eighty percent of the market, what used to be here in what two thousand. 13, 14, 15, yeah. or to, 2010, you know, yeah. properties in the Lock 60, out. 70, 000. yes, yeah. You can afford 80% of the market. Then properties are cheap. They have to buy as many as you can. So yeah, affordability rate, that's one thing you should look. Then um, population growth, you know, is this area growing, people coming in or people coming, moving out? So here is a stat that you should look for. Um, it's a, the ratio between population and existing houses. So how many people and how many houses for each other? So a ratio of two and a half people per household is, is good. It's average. So two and a half people live in an average household. So if um, there are two people live it's the ratio is lower two people live average per household then uh we have too many available homes because less people live in one home there's mm. too many homes and the home and the people are spread between many homes mm. but when the ratio of people living in a property is above two and a half let's say three three and a half people live in one home they're cramped in because they're not enough properties. So this is the area where um, households are needed, new properties are needed. So they, we have to build properties because people are living together because there's not enough for them. That sounds a lot like Southern California, San Diego. Yeah, but a lot of this comes to affordability rate. In, in LA, affordability rate is 12%. What does that mean? Twelve percent of people can afford a property. Yeah, yeah, that's insane. A average 
um, median in medium income for fam per family. Yeah. yeah. So interesting. Uh, so population. Uh, so you have to look at the population. Is it growing? Is it uh, you know? The easiest way you can do this is go on Yuho um, and see where the Yuho's are moving, the track, and you see which direction the Yuho is more expensive. Like coming from California to Phoenix, it's five thousand dollars to rent it, and getting Yuho to California, Yuho pays you two hundred to take it back. Some, you, you know, know what? Some... It's true. If people are if people are leaving California, even though it's still expensive. I don't get it though, because like, yeah, it's still expensive in LA, but people are getting yeah. the fuck out of there. Like, it's going out of style. Yeah. So population affordability and just yeah. overall area development. What? Well, how is the uh, migration and employment? You know, water supply. Hey, how does the water supply looks like in Phoenix? This is really important type of thing. So, but. This is that's that's enough for area. So let's not go deeper into this. But this is the main thing: so affordability, population um, growth, and development growth. This is what you should look for the area. So let's let's talk a little bit more about the actual property itself. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so the actual characteristics. So let's say <clears throat> first the most one is location. You know, everybody talks about location, location, location in real estate. So let's talk about the location. How do we pick the location? We talked about the area, and um, that's that's already kind of a research. Then the second thing that we know already, that I told you, is the value is in the land. So we know the area, we know that the value is in the land, and we're looking for the property that is going to uh, double in value the fastest. So now we need to find where is that location where the land is going to double in value the fastest. And when we know that the, the the land goes up because of scarcity, then what's that location where the, the land is gonna be most um, valuable and searched and bought? This usually is in the center of the city mm. where everything is already developed. There's no more space to develop anything new. You have to scrape old buildings to build something new. Downtown, mm -hmm. yeah, close to freeway. So that's where the location is versus being on the outskirts of the city where there's plenty of land, new builders like Arizona. Desert everywhere. You can go in any directions and build subdivisions, 100, 100 houses. So let me give you, have... you an example in Phoenix because I know Phoenix pretty well. Santan Valley versus downtown Phoenix. Is that Would that be – Inaccurate. Uh, I mean, yeah, Prescott. Uh, yes, I, I would. That's way out, like Santan Valley. Way out. Yeah. Plenty of land. That's Queen Creek area. If people know that, it's plenty of land. It can grow as you know, main properties. One of the big builders just bought, I don't know, a uh, hundred thousand acres to build, you know, ten thousand homes in the next ten years. Where out in the Santan Valley? A little bit north of Santan Valley, you know, in the East East Valley overall. So, oh, you know, you're going to be competing with the builders. Yeah, There's plenty of land. So you don't want to do that. So if you have a choice to buy a, a brand new property on the outskirts of the city because it's cheaper and it's new, it's not going to have any problems. Or a little bit older property that needs a little more work, but it's in the center of the city. That one in the center of the city, even though it's going to give you more headache, it's going to double in value the fastest. So yeah. that's for location. 
look for the land and look where it's going to double in value the fastest. Um, that makes sense. Avoid location as far as busy streets. Like don't and nothing backing on the front on the back as as a busy street. Avoid um, um, high power uh, power lanes. Um, yeah, you don't want power. That. The power the, the lines power, coming through. The power yeah. lines coming on the backyard. You don't want that. Nothing negative that is is going to uh, affect your ability to sell the property or rent the property, because this is going to give you um, you know less appra a lower appraisal and it's going to have higher vacancy rate. So, how about how about properties? Here's a good one. So, what about properties that are, you know, you see a lot of this in like cities. Like there's there's like a neighborhood and then there's some houses next to the neighborhood and then. Maybe next to those houses, you have like a commercial building next to it. Are you trying to avoid that too? Being next to commercial, like next to a no, next to no. a doctor's office. No, 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 no. Because commercial close to your location means jobs. If you're close to a job location where there's a lot of businesses, there's a lot of people want to live there. So you you want to be there. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Um, the other thing for location is. We talked about the negative, but don't pick anything positive too, over positive. Like you don't want waterfront property. You don't want golf course lot. You don't want all these things because you're overpaying for things that doesn't matter to you. They're going to, I mean, they do matter a little bit, but on the ROI that we're looking at as an investors, they don't make any, any sense. Yeah. So do not overpay for golf, golf course lots, um, waterfront properties great views yeah you don't want that you don't you want, want you want the the boring property in the neighborhood um that you know it is it, just going to bring in the most money so. you want the you want the plain jane property that's going to be a winner over the long term versus the exactly unicorn. boring property that's it you know it's just it numbers numbers game so we talked about a price Affordability, 60% of the people should be able to afford to buy or rent this property. So look at for the medium income in your area. Kind of a, do the calculations what somebody with family with $80,000 income can, have, can buy a property. And that's your sweet spot in the price range. I would say or ask any local research and ask, hey, what's... Um, most of the deals, what well, are they happening? You know, below what price point? Like in Phoenix, below five hundred thousand. Sixty percent of the deals are below five hundred thousand. Sure. So the cheaper, the better. What about what are your thoughts now? That's very good insight there. What are your thoughts about buying property in really bad neighborhoods, like like D class neighborhoods, like because there's a lot of those in some of these like Midwest cities, like St. Louis, Cincinnati, and. You know, there's if, a lot of these properties. So that, he, here's my advice for um, property in a bad area. <laughs> I'm talking real bad too. I'm talking dangerous. Re real bad, real bad. Yes. <laughs> so um, if it's a great deal, you buy it. Okay. But you have to be ready. Usually, ready. the bad the properties in the bad area, they give you really good cash flow. Yes. The good properties do not give you good cash flow. That is but true. This makes sense. Go back to a first episode and talk, you know, listen about why cash flow doesn't matter. So, the only reason to buy a property in a bad area is it, it's a really, really good deal. 
so you can take it, stabilize it, and then resell it and exchange it to something else and move the equity into another property. Um, property in a bad neighborhood comes with uh, high. So, as a, I own a property management company. If you come with a property in a bad area, we are going, we're going to turn it down or we're going to significantly increase our uh, management fee sure. because of the of the headache. Then you have, you're going to have more um, vacancy because the people tend to you have to evict them in and out, financial problems. So you're going to have higher vacancy. <laughs> so you're going to have more problems. You're going to have really, really good cash flow, but it, it's going to be a headache. So if you're going to buy it, buy it for a short period of time and get out of it as soon as possible. Take the equity or even maybe flip it or something. Just Just get out of it. But yeah. do not do not um, do not uh, hold it for too long because it's gonna it's gonna distract you from your main purpose. You're gonna uh, spend too much time managing. In you don't make money when you're managing managing the property. You make money when you're buying properties. So 100. That's a 100%. great point because I have a lot of people who like tell me they're like you should buy in Toledo, Ohio, and I'm like no, that's not the like. There's I'm sure there's deals there, but like a lot of these like high cap rate section like they're not that cool. I've wholesaled all those opportunities. Yes. Yeah. They're not So if the property's cash flowing really good, it's in a bad neighborhood, bad area. I'll tell you right away. You don't even have to tell me the 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 the, the statistics. The bad tell area. me it's it's, it's going to cash flow a thousand bucks. Okay, I know why. I so know why. so you could, but I wouldn't do it because we are in the passive income business. We are lazy investors. We want to set it and forget it, that type of a system. And also, we get people to work for us, and we don't get involved in property has a lot of headache. You're going to be involved, and it's going to, again, distract you from your main purpose. Main purpose is buying to property. buy buying properties. That's where you make your money. So, 100%, 100%. So we talked about location. We talked about price. All right, let's talk about square feet. Mm. What's the, the what's the right size? I did a research in my market. I actually I was um, looking at the research in our market for the last twenty years, and that includes um, the uh, the crisis in two thousand seven eight nine. So, the properties with lower square footage below thousand square feet appreciated at six point nine percent per year average for the last 20 years. And the properties over 3,000 square feet, 3,500 and more, appreciated only 3.4% per year. So the, the, the lower the square footage, the higher the appreciation is. That's interesting. Just be careful, of course. You know, that's my personal opinion. That's my research. Do the research for the local area. Things might be changed. But do not go for the bigger properties. Go for the medium and smaller properties. Okay. And Medium and small properties. And, you know, once you know what people can afford, and then you can really see what in this particular area for 500,000 price point, can you afford 1,500 square feet home or 2,000 square feet home? that's that's the that's the and you're going to have less maintenance the smaller the property is 
because there's less stuff that. Oh, uh, sure, it depends. Depends. Like if you have a pool and a big property, and you have all these other things that are just kind of like, oh, that's another question. You're in Phoenix, right? I'm sure people in Phoenix are listening. What are your thoughts on pools? Because that's a liability. I would never want every, to every yeah every third property has a pool in Phoenix. So yes, holy moly! God. So it's crazy. If you want to get the highest possible return on the investment, do not buy properties with pool. Interesting. Uh, there's regulations. You have to add fencing. You have to maintain the pool. You have to fix it. You know, you can get more uh, money. F- rental a little bit more but the headache is not there can you fill the pool in phoenix can you just fill it up and close it yes yeah i can get a permit in phoenix it's weird they they ask you to do 300 holes in the pool basis and then cover it with dirt 300 holes in the pool yeah but that's the yeah because rainwater goes on top and if there's no holes it's going to, even though you have dirt into the pool, it's still going to hold on the bottom. So, I mean, yeah, people know what yeah, they the do. seven days they, a year it rains in Phoenix. Yeah, word. That <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> but uh, that brings me to the first. If it's a good deal, just buy it. Just buy it. Just Keep buy it. We're going to deal with this later. We're going to talk down the road about the tax advantages of the real estate. But one of the biggest advantages we do is a 1031 exchange. Practically, you don't like the property, sell it, move the money into something else that you really like. But what's so, the golden rule? Never sell. Never sell for, for cash. Yeah, never sell for cash. Just move the equity around, cash out, refi, and get it done. So, oh, that's all right. So square footage. I think I found in in the Phoenix market anything around the two thousand square feet is a really good deal. Is really if you can find it in the right price around two thousand square feet, it's a pretty good deal. Okay. Um, this brings me to the bedrooms and bathrooms. <clears throat> Different locations have. Um, kind of a customary for the market. And a lot of um, East Coast properties having three bedroom, one bathrooms is really common in the market. Yeah. Yeah. But so you need to know. But my rule of thumb here in the Phoenix and on the probably the whole Western states, yeah, a little bit newer, um, three bedroom, minimum three bedroom, two bathroom properties. And why three? Because if you go down to two bedrooms, you're going to be competing with apartments. You don't want to. You don't want to. You don't want to compete with apartments. Most apartments are two bedroom, one bathroom. This is the most common um, um, selection that builders were doing: two bedroom, one bathroom, because it's the most efficient as far as building and renting. So you don't want to compete with these people. And then minimum you want to do three bedroom, two bathroom. But I think in this timing, like this. Uh, uh, how, how do I say it? Right now, the lifestyle of people uh, requires probably four bedroom, three car garage. That's it. Because you have a family, two kids, you need an office, any, any things like that. So one of the things you can do. But I don't think you're going to be able to buy good rental on a decent price in this. So three bedroom, two bathroom in a lower price points. It, it's perfectly fine. And also, uh, single level, two levels, it doesn't really matter. It, it, it just doesn't really matter. In Phoenix, you guys don't have – a lot of the houses in Phoenix are just one level, right? Most of them. Yeah, it's too expensive to, to do a, uh, a basement here. Oh, so there's, not, there's no ba- – okay. Because it's so – No the, basement. The dirt is so hard. Is that why? No, everything comes to uh, building codes. So on the um, East Coast, because of the point of freezing – uh, freeze point 
um, he has he has to be um, three feet of maybe six feet um, foundation. Oh, so when you do six, when you do six feet foundation, why don't you just dig a little more and just and get a basement? basement exactly. Phoenix is uh, one foot. That's it. You just need a <laughs> yes. one foot concrete slab, and you're good to go. I mean, that's the minimum, but probably three feet is the wow. three feet is the requirement. So we don't have freezing. You know, nothing freezes here, so we don't need this deep, deep foundation. You don't need a deep. In Fargo, North Dakota, I have a good friend up there, and he he hit the fucking requirement to build. It's like you have to dig like a ten foot foundation because it's so cold there. Yeah, it's crazy. It's a basement, so right away there. So it's too expensive. Plus, we have this something called natural cement. So over the the years, uh, uh, dust, water, dust, water, dust, water, different levels, that becomes like a, a natural cement. And you can cannot dig it. You just have to uh, come in special equipment to just to dig that. So it, it's more expensive, and we're here with just everything cheap, fast, get it done. That type of a thing. What about age of property? I don't know if that's a problem in Phoenix, but like I, nope. I don't like to do old houses to rent myself. I don't do them. There too, there's too many problems with them. Like I'm talking 1890 to 1910 builds up here in the East Coast. So uh, in Phoenix, we don't have that. I mean, the oldest you can do probably something in the 40, 40s. That's it's like, like new oh my god, me, that's bro. that's that's ancient. Like what the hell? We don't. 1940s like new construction where yeah. I'm at right now. It's crazy. So this is what I'm going to say. If it's a good deal, buy it. Do not avoid it. But if you really want to, there's two strategies for these properties. Either um, you really like it, it's a good deal, it's going to appreciate really, really high, and you want to hold it. When you buy it, do a full remodel. But a really, really full remodel. We're talking about even sewer, anything that you should not have any problems at all. Use the burn strategy system to include to um, all the repair costs into the financing and just do a great new remodel top to bottom. So, okay. And then the property being old doesn't really matter because it's maintained Brand really well. Yeah. Exactly. The next thing, the second option is you buy the property as is, do very little, and if you have a tenant there, and later either sell it and exchange it, or start putting together a big budget for a full remodel. And then do a cash out refi. Do a cash out refi, but do not avoid them. Just get them um, later, especially if you have one with a tenant already existing in the property. Do not remove the tenant. If the tenant wants to say, stay and they pay you a thousand bucks, but the market rent is sixteen hundred. You're like, oh, I'm gonna get him out, I'm gonna remodel it, I'm gonna get sixteen hundred. No, the math doesn't work. Because you're gonna get him out, you're gonna spend sixty thousand dollars on remodel, it's gonna take you three, four months, and then you're gonna get six hundred bucks more cash flow. Doesn't make any Six, sense. You invest sixty thousand to get six hundred bucks more. How many months is gonna? How many uh, months is gonna take you? Yeah, it's gonna take you what? Uh, hundred months. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. You're like freaking seven, seven, seven years to get your cash back. No, just keep the tenant in, and do the minimum, and start budgeting 
to full remodel later when the tenant out is out or just sell it and replace it with something easier to manage Got and maintain. it. All right. So So. let's, let's, um, I want to cover one more thing because this is a good topic and uh, people need to hear this. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, this will be our last segment today is what type of rehab should you do on your standard property? Right. Cause I rehab rentals differently than I rehab houses a little bit, not too much, but I definitely delineate that. What would you recommend? I'll, and I'll give you an example. If I have my druthers, I'm probably not putting ceiling fans in. And if there's central AC, obviously, uh, they, they, I don't want them to sweat. Uh, a dishwasher, I don't like putting them in because those break. Washer and dryer, I prefer the tenants to bring because those break. And, you know, another thing is like, I like to put in really hard countertops. The same, I would do the same countertops because those, those hold forever, basically. So what, what are your thoughts on like doing the right remodel so you don't have a problem Yes. breaking and So, shit? And floors so too, that's big. the question is, is if I do this, is it going to increase the rent? Mm. Or is it going to save me trouble in maintenance? Yeah. So granite countertops are cheaper than Formica. Yes. Yes. So do granite countertops. Um, as far as the appliances, in our, you know, for, with us, it's standard to have a dishwasher. It's okay. You know, having a dishwasher, it's okay. In a multifamily, it increases your water bill a little bit, but not. I think dishwasher is a good thing to have. Okay. But refrigerator, washer, and dryer, if you don't have them, ask the tenant to buy it. Interesting. If they, can, if they cannot buy it, if you already have them, in your lease agreement, write down that there the tenant is uh, responsible for the repairs of the refrigerator, washer, and dryer. It's going to save you a lot of money. Um, Interesting. Interesting. don't do fence. I just remodel property, do um, lighting, like, uh, and then no ceiling fans at all. They break. No fan. It's, Those break. no, no, no. Uh, um, vinyl planks. Get rid of the carpet. <laughs> You can do tile, but even get rid don't do even tile, just vinyl no, it's going plank. to get fucked up. The caulking gets fucked up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So a tip for the vinyl planks. Do not put the vinyl planks and then put the kitchen on top. Kitchen on the concrete, vinyl on the side. It's going to save you a lot of problems if there's a flood. Wait, say that again. Wait, so, so, so basically, rip up the kitchen floor so you have No, like. no, 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 no. No, no. When, when, when there's nothing Yeah. and he's replacing the kitchen cabinets, Yeah. don't do, don't do the flooring and put the kitchen cabinets on top of the flooring. Oh, okay. Put the kit the, the cabinets first on the concrete and then do the flooring next to Okay. the Okay. So it doesn't rub. I see. yes if it if you get in a flood it's gonna you're gonna have to rip the whole kitchen with the floorings That's a nugget you right know there. i mean it's experience <laughs> i So learned that let, the let hard me ask way you this about let me ask you this about floors because this is really what gets fucked up in rentals. There's there's two there's two kind of floors that look almost exactly the same. There's wood laminate and then there's LVP that has a rubber like it's almost like rubber water resistant. I see a lot of landlords make the mistake where they they think that they're putting vinyl in, but they're really putting in wood laminate floors in a bathroom. And if you get a leak, those floors are shot. So are you talking Yes. about The rubber plastic snap on floors. Yes. It, Okay. uh, generally known as the vinyl planks. Vinyl plank. Yes. Yes. This thing gets flooded. You take it out, put it in pieces, gets dried, and then put it back in. Yes. 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 The wood gets So, rotted and rusted. um, 
if you if you have an old house before and you do the 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 kit the the bathroom, do the plumbing of the bathroom too, the sewer, because most likely if you have a problem, you have to rip up the whole all the tiles and everything just to fix the 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 sewer. So one thing, um, paint. Use high gloss paint, high quality, high quality, high gloss paint, because this paint. First, if you have to repaint spots, it they they they, they um how do you, how was the right word? It just the spots don't see it if you paint on top of of something. They um how do you call it? Like you just don't see. If you have to paint spots, um they don't they don't stand out. Yeah. If you if you have to paint, what's but the also, opposed to what? Like a I mean a... They, they, they it blends when you paint with uh high quality paint with and you go buy a new one and paint it on top a little spot it blends very well so don't buy cheap paint buy expensive paint and then if you do high gloss you might not have to repaint all you have to do is just wipe really good so on the high gloss you'll be able to wipe it so if you have apartments you know a little cheaper than just do high gloss Dude, you have all these like tricks of the trade just sitting up in that cranium. Before. You're, like a, you're like an old man, even though you're not old, but you're like an old man with his wisdom today. Just because these are little things where like, if you make this mistake, you really set yourself up to have more. Yeah, like people, people change the windows. Why the hell do you change the windows in the property? Who pays the electricity bill? The tenant, you don't pay the electricity bill. Why make it nice? <laughs> It, it, you're gonna spend ten thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars on the windows, and it's not gonna increase your rent significantly. No. No. So no, do not change the windows. Only thing like uh, in in our market, popcorn ceilings are very popular. I don't know if you in your market. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. And people tend to to start changing. Why do you change the popcorn ceiling? It doesn't matter. Just paint it on top, and it's not gonna increase your rent. It's gonna cost you two. I mean, another week, and maybe. Three to five thousand dollars. You got a sheetrock. You got a sheetrock it. It's a whole fucking thing. I've done that. Yeah. I do that. I do that for flips. I did a sale in California. I've done some flips there. So for mm. rent, yeah, don't do it. Don't do it because yeah. it doesn't increase your rent. And no. appraisers, appraisers don't, don't even care about it. It's just it's a know. common. Yeah. So little things that do not increase your rent significantly. It's a higher cost. 100%. Mostly paint and carpet. It's one of the best things. Paint, paint and carpet. Car- paint and carpet. Yeah. Agi, you are a wealth of knowledge. I'm looking forward to our podcast next month where we're going to be discussing a different topic here in this series. If people want to learn from the master himself, what is the best way for them to get in touch with you? Because you, I'm saying this, I was a coaching student of yours and it has been very, very helpful to say the least. And that's that's being generous. I'm I'm, I'm happy you changed your mind from seven years of wholesaling to... (laughs) (laughs) It was like a rat running for cheese. Like, (laughs) Yeah, so making what in the last... Three four months, what three hundred thousand in equity? Yeah, I got more than that, but yeah, more than that? yeah. Well, well, that's so, with other properties, but yeah. The best thing is right now just reach reach out to me directly. Either Google my name, Ogi Panev, you'll find me on social medias, or just call me on my cell phone six zero two four zero five eight one five six. Text me, and I'll be happy to, to sit down and discuss your situation, see your structure, how we can uh, set up your buy and hold business get money in, get money out and kind of uh, set you up for the next 10, 20 years of buying unlimited amount of rental properties. So. Amazing. By using the Buran juice. 
Warren, excuse me. <laughs> velocity, velocity refinancing. That's funny. That's a good one. Augie, this was a pleasure. I'm looking forward to the next one. Take care. Okay, man. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to an episode of the Real Estate Investing Fast Track. I hope you got a lot of value from this specific episode. And there are a few takeaways that you're able to gather from this to implement in your business so you can be a more successful real estate investor. So if you did get value from the show, if you could do me a favor and leave me a review on iTunes, it would really mean a lot to me. That's how we keep growing the show and getting great guests is because people see the reviews. They see that we have a high quality show and they want to contribute as a guest. So that would be great. Also, if you got value, if you could share the show on social media, that would be great because that is how people see this besides the reviews. So once again, if you did get value, if you could do me a favor and leave me a review on iTunes and share the show on social media, it would really mean a lot to me and I'll see you on the next episode.